Thank you all so much for joining us for tonight's Citizens Climate University. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight's topic is gonna to specifically focus on why clean energy permitting reform is an important climate priority. We're gonna have the chance to jump in as stars align for America's rapid transition to a clean energy economy and exploring why this is going to be an effective focus for what CCL will also be advocating for. So if we've done our job well, we're gonna to learn tonight about clean energy permitting and why it's included in CCL's expanded policy agenda. We're gonna have the chance to really understand what we mean when we talk about clean energy permitting reform and why it is important. And we'll also have the chance to jump into learning about what reform CCL is supporting and how CCL is planning on engaging in that process and all ahead. So with us tonight are our two esteemed speakers. We're gonna have the chance to learn from Dana Nucitelli. We're also joined by the wonderful Tony Cerna. So our agenda is really straightforward. We're gonna focus first and foremost on why this topic is important. We're then going to explore what is permitting and what the problem and challenges we face are. We'll explore the potential environmental justice benefits from fixing it. And we'll also talk about what solutions CCL is planning on supporting and how we're going to engage. And again, from there, we'll dive into a robust discussion around Q&A. But with that, we are so glad you're here. Let's learn about clean energy permitting reform. So I'll pass it to you, Dana and Tony. Cool, thanks, Brits. And hi, everybody. So uh, clean energy permitting reform, very important topic. It is one of the items in CCL's expanded agenda. And we are going to talk about all of those items at the fall conference on December 3rd and 4th. So if you haven't registered yet, uh, it would be a good idea for you to do that. And you can do that at cclusa.org slash fall conference. And at that point, we'll talk about the other uh, agenda items as well. But tonight's all about the clean energy permitting reform. So we've got a couple slides here on why the basic uh, headline uh, messages about why it's important. Um, so obviously right now we're trying to build out America's clean energy economy and we need permitting reform to do that to unlock our clean energy infrastructure that's waiting to be built and by getting that clean energy to American households and businesses. And why it's really important is that if we don't build out this clean energy infrastructure faster than we already are, then we'll only achieve about 20% of the potential carbon pollution reduction from the climate policy that we passed, uh, for example, through the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, that's a finding from the Princeton Repeat Energy Modeling Group. And we'll go into the details about why that's the case. So first, uh, just some really basic points. What is permitting exactly? Um, so permitting is the authorization that a government gives for a uh, builder to begin a construction project. Um, so the idea is that we need to have permits in place to make sure that communities and workers and environments aren't unduly harmed by any new construction project that's happening. Um, so they are very important, but, you know, the process takes time, and so obtaining permits adds time and expense to those projects, and so there's kind of a balancing act that you want to make sure you're doing this permitting process uh, carefully and accurately while, you know, doing it in a timely manner so that it's not holding up projects too long. 
So there are different types and levels of permits. When you have a really big project, generally you need permits from the federal government and the state governments and from the local governments. Uh, so federal permits uh, control the impacts on issues of national importance, like the quality of air and water, uh, protecting wildlife, protecting water resources, that sorts of thing. Um, that's also generally what uh, state permits tend to do, focus on. And then local permits uh, generally deal with uh, land use issues and zoning and making sure that's all done appropriately as well. So the issue is that permitting can sometimes be quite slow. Uh, and right now we're only expanding our electric transmission infrastructure at about 1% per year. Uh, which is not fast enough. We need to speed that up uh, because in the long term, by the year 2050, in order to get to a clean energy economy and get to about net zero emissions, we need to roughly triple our capacity to transmit clean electricity from what it is now, which is a lot of building of infrastructure. And right now for uh, big projects that have potential environmental impacts that require environmental impact statements and EIS, uh, those can take federal agencies quite a bit of time. Right now, they're taking an average of 4.5 years for a federal agency to complete an environmental impact statements. So that's quite a long delay potentially for these big clean energy projects. And transmission lines in particular are very, very slow to get built right now. They take about a decade on average uh, to build a new transmission line in the United States right now. And, you know, 2030 is about seven years away. And so that's kind of a math problem if it takes 10 years and we're seven years from 2030, like something's got to change there. So uh, generally our issue, the good news is that because of the Inflation Reduction Act expanding clean energy tax credits, we're expecting a big explosion in solar and wind farm projects. Uh, roughly a tripling of wind and solar uh, energy in the United States over the next decade or so. But the issue is that uh, those big wind and solar farms tend to be located out in rural areas where there's available land that's affordable, which means they're not located particularly close to businesses and people in cities uh, that have the biggest demand for that clean power. And so you need to make a transition, a transmission line to connect those big solar and wind farms to the population centers that need that clean energy. And so that's why we need permitting reform so we can get those things built uh, and make that clean energy transition happen fast enough to meet our climate targets, getting emissions cut substantially by 2030, for example. And again, as we mentioned earlier, if we don't start building that energy infrastructure faster, we're only going to achieve about 20% of the potential carbon pollution reduction from the Inflation Reduction Act uh, because we won't be connecting those big wind and solar farms to the grid to the population centers. And so even though we have the potential to build sol solar and wind farms, you still got to get them connected to the grid if you're going to actually uh, get everything built out and achieve those emissions reductions. And so we got a quick little chart to put that in visual form. Uh, you can see the blue here is our emissions to date in the United States from 2005 to 2022 projected. Uh, so you can see we've been slowly headed in the right direction downward in our emissions. Uh, thanks mostly to coal power being phased out and replaced by solar and wind and some natural gas too. And so continuing that uh, forward, 
this is if we continue building our transmission infrastructure at the same rate as we have been over the past decade or so, which is, again, it's too slow. And so despite having passed the Inflation Reduction Act, we'll only be at somewhere around 28% emissions reductions by 2030, below 2005 levels, if we continue with this slow transmission build-out and aren't able to connect the wind and solar clean energy to the grid. On the other hand, if we can get our permitting process happening faster, get those wind and solar farms built, get them connected via transmission lines, then we can achieve the emissions reductions that uh, modeling illustrates uh, we could get from the Inflation Reduction Act, get to 40% emissions cuts by 2030, which is not quite to our 50% target, but of course we have other policies that we're going to try to add on to get that extra uh, little bit that we need to get to close that gap. I'll, again, we'll be talking about that and what CCL is gonna be doing in uh, terms of additional policies at the fall conference. Uh, so make sure you sign up for that. But anyway, um, so this is why permanent reform is so important because we have to get at least that first jump to that 40% emissions cuts. And we can't do that if we can't build out the infrastructure fast enough for clean energy. Uh, so one point that is really important and has been overlooked a lot uh, since the permitting reform debate happened um, is that it's actually very important for disadvantaged communities that we get permitting reform done uh, because right now air pollution is a really big problem. It's causing about 250,000 deaths per year in the United States, and that's especially in disadvantaged communities that are located near large pollution sources like coal power plants, for example. And so if we're not building out uh, these new wind and solar farms and transmission lines so that we can phase out and replace these coal power plants and the coal power plants and other fossil fuel infrastructure stays in place, keeps spewing out air pollution and water pollution and that disproportionately impacts those disadvantaged communities and that causes all kinds of problems for those uh, communities. So it's actually really important that we replace the fossil fuel infrastructure with the clean energy infrastructure as quickly as possible. Um, otherwise, um, so the Inflation Reduction Act has a lot of potential benefits for reducing premature deaths, especially in disadvantaged communities. But if we're not able to deploy that clean energy infrastructure, then it's going to result in thousands of uh, premature deaths that we failed to avoid. So it's really important. Another key point is that most new infrastructure that we're building right now in the United States is for clean energy. And globally, the demand for fossil fuels is peaking. And so if you make it easier to build stuff, most of the stuff that we're going to build is going to be clean energy and not dirty energy at this point. And so I got some charts to illustrate that point or those points. This one is from a report from Lawrence Berkeley National Labs that was look, it's looking at what the United States has built in terms of new energy capacity uh, from 2007 through 2021. So you can see on here, the brown is natural gas, the black is coal, the orange and yellow are solar, uh, the purple, violet, whatever that color is, is wind, and the red is storage. And you can, so you can see in the past, we had a lot of fossil fuels, lots of gas, a little bit of coal, and then gradually over time, you can see the purple and the orange and the yellow get much, much bigger. In 2021, 85% of the new energy capacity we built in the United States was clean energy, wind, solar, and battery storage. 
and only 15% uh, there was natural gas. And then we can look also at what is in the queue that uh, businesses are trying to build, trying to get um, uh, uh, built out and connected to the power grid. And so you can see uh, in each of these on the bottom, the rightmost uh, bar is for 2021. So you can see for solar energy, there is this really, really big bar for uh, solar panels that we're trying to get connected to the grid. Lots of battery storage that we're trying to connect uh, in combination oftentimes with those solar panels. Uh, quite a bit of winds that we're trying to get in, uh, deployed and not very much of anything else, a little bit of natural gas, but it's about 92 plus percent is solar and wind and then only seven and a half percent is natural gas. So most of what we are currently building and what we are trying to build right now that's getting held up in part by the permitting process is clean energy and not fossil fuel energy. And then, as I mentioned, we are also approaching or may already have reached uh, peak fossil fuel demand globally. So I've got a few charts illustrating that point. This one is from RMI uh, looking at uh, fossil fuel demand globally. You can see they have the peak at about 2019. They think at this point we're at the plateau where fossil fuel demand globally is flat and not going up. And then it's going to decline over time. Uh, if we go to the next one, this one is from the International Energy Agency, the IEA. Uh, they have a very similar picture. This is based on uh, current policies already in place. They show the peak of fossil fuel total use, uh, which is the top of this chart. It peaks at around 2025 and then declines thereafter. And then we have a similar chart from McKinsey. Uh, very similar. They show coal already peaked in 2013. They show oil peaking in 2025, natural gas uh, peaking in 2035. You combine them together. They estimate we'll reach a global fossil fuel demand peak in 2025, just as the IEA did. And so you're all getting, we're seeing the same picture from all these different uh, energy analysis groups saying that fossil fuel is like we're reaching the peak, like it's going to start going down as we transition towards green, cleaner energy economies all around the world. And so again, like the, if we start, you know, making it easier to build stuff out, what there is demand to build stuff out for is not so much fossil fuels anymore. Now it's becoming more and more clean energy. Um, and uh, so this is a chart that comes from an analysis of the uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act by a Princeton, the Princeton Repeat Modeling Group, looking at different scenarios in terms of our transmission buildouts uh, going up to 2030. And so this left uh, red bar is the amount of coal that the United States would have burned in 2030 without the Inflation Reduction Act in place. The gray bar is the amount of coal we will burn in 2030 with the Inflation Reduction Act in place if we continue with the 1% per year build out of electric transmission infrastructure from now through 2030. You can see the amount of coal burned actually goes up because electricity demand will go up because we're going to be deploying all these electric cars and electric heat pumps and electric, electric induction stoves. And so the demand for electricity goes up. And if we're not able to connect this new wind and solar to the grid through transmission lines fast enough, then that increased electricity demand largely gets met by fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. And so it's kind of almost a little backfire where we're actually burning more coal than we would otherwise have due to these great policies in the Inflation Reduction Act if we're not able to deploy 
the clean energy and transmission infrastructure. On the other hand, if we do success, succeed in speeding up our transmission infrastructure build out to one and a half or 2% per year, so something like doubling the rate at which we're currently building our infrastructure uh, for transmission uh, build out, uh, then we will succeed in reducing our coal consumption quite a bit, basically you know, close to half of what it would be if we continue with the current 1% per year. Um, so it makes a very, very big difference in the amount of coal we're burning, and therefore it makes a very big difference for communities that are stuck living near coal power plants that we succeed in this permitting reform. So we're succeeding in replacing coal power with clean energy. So uh, this is kind of our overall calculus of the permitting reform question and the importance of it. So we know we need to build our clean energy infrastructure faster for the climate so that we can get those greenhouse gas emissions reductions and meet, or at least come closer to meeting our Paris targets, getting to that 40% emissions reductions. We also know we need to build out clean energy infrastructure faster for disadvantaged communities living near uh, dirty fossil fuel uh, sources like coal power plants so that we can replace those with clean energy so that those communities are no longer breathing this polluted air from those fossil fuel sources. And we know that most of what's being slowed down by the permitting process right now is not so much fossil fuels, because for one thing, fossil fuels already have a pretty good permitting process. Like they've got uh, the incumbency status where they've had a lot of favorable um, policies passed over the past century. And there's just not so much demand anymore. I mean, there's still a lot of demand, but it's, it's going to decrease pretty soon for fossil fuels, whereas the demand for clean energy is going up and up and up. And so if we can make the permitting reform process go faster, it's mostly going to benefit clean energy. So uh, this is something that a lot of different parties uh, from different perspectives understand and are calling for permitting reform. So for example, we've got Senator Tina Smith, a climate hawk senator from Minnesota, a Democrat saying we need permitting reforms so that the wind and solar energy from rural Minnesota can get to cities and towns across the country. I've got Bill McKibben, uh, everybody knows Bill McKibben saying there's no question we need that, there's no question that we need both permitting reform and a kind of change in our attitude around this stuff of like building out uh, clean energy infrastructure faster. Um, we've also got Rep. Curtis uh, from Utah, Republican, saying we all agree permitting reform needs to be done, and I think we can get it across the finish line. So we've got bipartisan support for getting some kind of permitting reform done. It's just a matter of coming to an agreement that everybody uh, can vote for. Um, and so it's also, it's not just something that Congress is working on. There's also uh, some other positive uh, developments in the permitting reform space. Uh, so for example, the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed late last year actually had some stuff to change the laws a little bit and some funding uh, to help speed up permitting a little bit. The Inflation Reduction Act also had some nice changes. Uh, it had some funding for federal agencies to get better staffing and have the resources to do their uh, reviews of environmental documents faster. So we already have made some changes that will help uh, permitting happen a little bit faster. Uh, FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is also working on some new rules that they hope will open up some bottlenecks and make things happen a little bit faster on their end, but they still need Congress to act and take some steps. 
to uh, make the uh, process happen faster. That's, of course, where we come in uh, with our advocacy, uh, trying to get members of Congress to get to make that happen. So at that point, this point, I'm going to toss it over to Tony, and he's going to talk about the kinds of policies that CCL is going to support to make that happen. Thanks, Dana. Thanks for providing such a good foundation with the, the science and the engineering and the numbers there. Um, as always, I want to talk about how CCL, at CCL, we advocate for things, not against them. And in this case, we're advocating to accelerate the building of the clean energy economy. And so I want to say again, it's time to build America's clean energy economy. Permitting reform will make that possible by unlocking clean energy infrastructure that's waiting to be built and by getting that clean energy to American households and businesses. Specific uh, policies that we're trying to promote are anything that's going to add to America's capacity to transmit clean electricity, uh, policies that will support uh, speeding up the approval of clean energy projects that are waiting to be built. And we want to make sure that policies allow communities to make their voices heard on the environmental and other impacts of proposed energy projects. And of course, we recognize that there's the political realities. CCL recognizes that with a democratic system, it's going to force compromise among lawmakers who have a range of priorities. As we begin to work on the issue, we're going to, we will evaluate any permitting reform proposals in the context of our principles outlined here, and we will do our best to support options closest to our ideal approach. Now, we don't know what proposals exactly will be coming fo forward, either in the lame duck session of this Congress or in 2023 in the new Congress. We expect that any bill that has a chance to get 60 votes in the Senate will require some compromises, so we will need to evaluate any bill to see if the, the overall package is worth it for the benefits that we'd see. This is not going to be an easy process because we'll almost certainly see other groups advocating against policies that CCL might choose to support because they're making a different analysis or a different judgment call around, around permitting. When we do engage, uh, we're going to be engaging through our Typical levers of political will. We'll be lobbying Congress on this. We'll be writing letters to the editor, working in the media. We'll be reaching out in the grass tops. On the other hand, we don't expect to focus permitting reform um, a lot when doing grassroots outreach. We think it's a topic that's just a little too complex. It's not what I would table on if I was out at the farmer's market. Um, it's not an easy en entryway for people to um, get into the climate solution space. Um, so. And we're really going to be focused at the federal level on this to start with. Um, we might at some point uh, be able to provide some resources to help volunteers engage at the local level. Some of our CCL volunteers are already engaging on permitting and citing issues in their local communities um, already on their own. And we might be able to tap some of those resources of those uh, volunteers and their experiences to share with others. But for now, we're going to be focused on the federal level uh, and legislation that we can pass through Congress. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Brett. Excellent. Well, thank you, obviously, so much, Dan and Tony. I also do want to highlight um, that, as always, uh, if you, uh, any of the, at the end of any of these trainings, want to log your training, we have that available as an option on that training link that I provided, as well as in the action tracker. Um, so you're more than welcome to check that out and get credit for attending tonight, and also highlighting uh, which of these trainings you're most interested in and wanting to see more of. And then lastly, uh, as a little reminder, um, in that training that we've just highlighted tonight, the advanced training on clean energy permitting reform, we have a resources tab that has a whole host of additional readings. 
So if you'd like to find out more about what Brookings or Princeton or Earth Justice or Sierra Club or the Institute for Progress, you name it, different organizations and research institutions think on this topic, please check those links out. And if you have additional suggestions on links that you'd like to also see added to that page, please do feel free to recommend those or put those in an email to myself or in the forums. So with that, again, a reminder, here is where you can find uh, Dana and Tony and Mai's information, as well as where you can continue the conversation. Dana is always a booster here for Nerd Corner, where a lot of this information has already been being discussed. So check that out, cclusa.org forward slash nerd dash corner. Um, but for tonight, since we are at the top of the hour, we uh, just want to reflect a lot of the uplift and gratitude that we're already seeing in the chat, Dana and Tony. Thank you so much for being available, for preparing this walkthrough, helping us all feel more grounded in our expanded policy agenda, and obviously um, providing us even more details when we get to the conference in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.